Good Sunday morning to everyone. John chapter 12, verse 23. I would say we're walking through the text, but it seems like we're crawling. It's okay. We have several paradoxes in our text. We gain life through death. Jesus is able to give eternal life through death. Caitlin had another one last week. What was it? That's right. Yeah. Glorification through humiliation. How's that work out? Last week, we also talked about how the one who loves his life will lose his eternal life and how the one who hates his life will gain eternal life. All that to say is we are not of this world. We see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Amen. And if you do not know Jesus, then you may be confused by all these paradoxes. Jesus, the king of kings, comes to town on a donkey, not like the world was expecting. Jesus ends up coming to town and attacking the Jewish leaders of the temple, not the Roman government. That was not what the world, not what the people would think would happen. Jesus has just told the people that he must die. That is not how a king would conquer. But this one true king will die to give life to many through his death. Jesus would create a rich harvest. So as we can see, God does not act according to what the world expects. In other words, in other words, God's ways are higher than our ways. Now we left off last week with Jesus telling of his death that would come and then telling us what it would cost to follow him. That is die to self, love God more than anything that this world has to offer. So let's look at verse 23 and Jesus answered them. The hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Jesus challenges all of us. If you want to follow me, die to self. Love me more than anything this world has to offer. As we can see here, there's more to salvation than just saying, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. Or just confessing, yeah, one time, I, yeah, I believed in Jesus. I said a little prayer. But what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Our text here says that the ones who follow Jesus becomes a servant. <clears throat> Did you see that? If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. So what does that look like for the one who serves Jesus? Well, first John 26, first John 2, 6 says this, the one who says he abides in me is to walk in the same manner as he walked. We are, we are to, to live as Christ lived. We are, we are to be like Christ. We, we are actually serving Christ when we walk in the same manner as he did. We abide in Christ. To abide means to stay in place, to, to stay in Christ, to live in him, to remain in him. We will learn more about that in chapter 15 when we talk about the vine and the branches. But in order to know Christ, in order to serve Christ, we have to allow his words to fill our hearts and minds. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
And when we allow his word to fill our minds, it then directs our wills and transforms our affections. So true, true salvation is not only affection, but also direction. Think about this. You, can, you cannot truly serve someone if you do not know them. So, so let's say you're a hired servant, right? And you bring in waffles for breakfast. And the king's there like, I hate waffles, man. I like eggs. <laughs> and you say, well, that, that's fine, but I laid out your red suit for you. He goes, well, I don't wear red. You know, I like black. I booked a weekend for you at the beach. Well, I'm allergic to sand. <laughs> I don't know. And so the question the, the, the question that would come from the king was this. Do you even know me? Do you even know me? In order to serve, we have to know. And in order to know God, we have to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We have to put the word of God in our hearts. What does the psalm say? We've all heard this. Put the word of God in our hearts so that we may not sin against him. If we do not put the word in our hearts, then we will never know the one whom we are to serve. Jesus said, serve me. And Jesus on that day gave hope to all. He made some ultimate and glorious, glorious promises. Look at it again. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Here it is. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Are those not some of the most beautiful words you can hear from Christ? Jesus said, where I am, there my servant be also. He's talking about eternal life in this text. Give up your life and have eternal life. Not just eternal life somewhere, but eternal life with Jesus Christ. And eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth with God Almighty. Some of my favorite verses in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Where I am, you may be also. Do those words not stir in your heart? I don't, I don't know about you, but I want to be with Jesus, amen? I want to be with Christ wherever he is. Jesus said, where I am, there will my servant be also. What a beautiful promise. We are all to have a heart like our Savior. He came to serve, so that means that we are to serve. We are to serve him, but in order to serve him, we have to know him, and if we know him, we will be with him, amen? Now, we have a second promise here, not written, but it's implied. We have to look at the other side of this coin. If his servants will be with him, that's the ones who love him, what happens to his enemies, the ones who hate him? Well, Jesus has already addressed them back in chapter 8, if you remember. For I know where I came from, he says, and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. They will not be with Jesus because they do not know him or know where he will go. 
He says to them, you know neither me nor your father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. You can't be with nor, nor serve if you do not know him. And they do not know him nor his father. So what happens to the ones that do not know Jesus? Jesus tells them in chapter 8, verse 21. So he says to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So if you love and serve Jesus, there is a promise of eternal life with God. If you hate and do not know Jesus, there, are, there is the promise that you will die in your sins and have eternal life. Without God, you will have eternal damnation. These promises were made by Jesus, and it is the truth. He made a third promise. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So we have promise one, love Jesus, you will be with him. Promise two, hate Jesus and you will die in your sins. Promise three, the father will honor the ones who know and serve him. Think about that for a moment. Think about how we feel when we, we get honored by, by man. You know, we like that. That's pretty good. We like recognition. Everyone likes that. But this worldly honor is nothing compared to the Father honoring us. Let that swirl around in your mind for a little while. God the Father will honor us. Last week, I talked about how to follow and honor Jesus. And one way of doing that is to do right, make godly decisions. And I said also that how other people react to that, you cannot control. All you can do is live a life that glorifies God. Now, when you make godly decisions, what does the world think about you? Jesus said the world hated him. They're going to hate you, too. It's coming. They will ridicule you. you. They, they will not give you any honor. So I say, who cares? It's just me. It's not in the text. Who cares? What, 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 who cares what the world thinks about us? We don't seek honor. From the world. It's not that important. We praise God with our lives. How the world reacts does not change how we, how we live. The culture does not dictate our behavior. We live in the truth. And when we do, the truth says, says that the Father will honor us. So that's how we live. And he does this. He honors us because we love we follow, we serve, and worship the Son. Praise God, right? Praise God. Listen, the Jewish leaders, the, uh, the Jewish people who were there on that day, who had heard these, they have heard these words before. God made this promise to the Jews in 1 Samuel 2.30. He said, those who honor me, I will honor. God had given that promise to the Jews of the Old Testament. And here is Jesus who now extends that promise to all people who truly believe in his son. God will honor all of his children who honor 
his son. The cross is set before Jesus, and here he is giving hope, giving the gospel message through his promises. Three promises. Love Jesus and you will be with Jesus. Hate Jesus and you will die in your sins. And the third promise, the Father will honor the ones who know and serves Jesus. Write Romans 8, 16 through 18 in your margins. Beside promises. It says, the Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children than heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. When God the Father honors us, we will be glorified. These words from God should motivate us to live in victory, not defeat, because we know that our honor does not come from this world, and how this world treats us is nothing compared to the glory or the honor that we receive from God. Amen. Nothing compares. Moving on. Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus will be glorified through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus will be glorified even though there is suffering and rejection. We need to understand this about the suffering and rejection of Jesus. When we read about it here in the book of John, we have to know that John is explaining to all that the suffering and rejection experienced by Jesus in the Passion story was not some unforeseen disaster. Rather, it was foreordained and played out in fulfillment of God's will. And here's a big point that I want us to all know about Jesus. It was done with Jesus's full knowledge and participation. We have read in the scriptures that many events had to happen for what? For what reason? In order for the scriptures that the scriptures would be fulfilled. So here's a few examples of these events that John has put down. He said, they did not believe in him, told by Isaiah in chapter 6, 53. One of his disciples would betray him, Psalm 41, 9. John 15 says, we will see that the world has, has seen and hated both Jesus and his father, prophesied about in Psalm 35 and 69. John 19, soldiers divided his gar Jesus' garments and cast lots for his tunic, Psalm 22. On the cross, Jesus said, I thirst and was offered vinegar to drink, spoken of in Psalm 69. Also in John 19, we see that Jesus' legs were not broken, written about in Exodus 12, Numbers 9, Psalm 34. Zechariah tells us that his side would be pierced, and the list goes on and on and on. There are over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and he knew about them all, and he was willing to do them all. Now, Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies was a way for the Jewish leaders or anyone else, as a matter of fact, to be able to see or know that Jesus is the true Messiah that God had promised would come. So I was reading this week about the odds of Jesus fulfilling all of these promises or all these prophecies. I mean, one guy said it this way, and maybe you've heard this before. He said the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight prophecies. 
just eight, was compared to this. If you were to cover the earth with coins two foot deep, drop one marked coin from space to the earth, stir all the coins, and then be able to blindly reach in and pull out that marked coin on the first try. Same odds for Jesus fulfilling just eight prophecies. Just eight, not 300. So what does that prove? It proves that God is in control of all and God is an all-knowing God. So as Jesus speaks and does, he is confirming that God is in control and that he is here to do the Father's will and he knows the Father's will from front to back. And I say all that so we can get a small glimpse of the heart of God. We can see the heart of Jesus. It's so important to know the heart of Jesus because it helps us in our walk. So here we are, the cross is visible just days away and we have Jesus knowing what was set before him, having full knowledge of how he would suffer and be rejected. And yet he participated in it all because he was loving and was doing the Father's will. Can you see the love that Jesus has for his children? Do you see the heart of Jesus? Do you, do you, can you see what he was willing to do, to suffer, to, to go through, to glorify God and to rescue humanity? Jesus has told us that there is no greater love than for a man to lay down his life for another. And we all know that Jesus did that. But I don't think we, we, in our finite minds, we can completely understand what Jesus has done. People go, what do we be doing for all eternity? I'm thinking we're trying to get it all our heads wrapped around what Jesus has done for us. <laughs> I think it's going to take eternity to get that down. We'll see. Verse 27, Jesus knows what is going to happen, and he says this. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So Je Jesus continues in his teaching and he tells the cost of, the, of, commit, of commitment to the Father's will. He does it by sharing his heart. He is in turmoil, stirred inside agitated you may say he says now is my soul troubled he's thinking about the cross the time is near and that he would become the sin bearer and then thinking about this in his flesh that that god is going to deal with sin in his flesh of course his soul was troubled of course it was remember Jesus is a man. He is fully God, and yet he was fully man. Can we understand that completely? No, but it's the truth. 
Listen, he doesn't switch back and forth. One minute God and one minute man. One minute man, one minute God. It doesn't work that way. He's fully God and fully man. So as a man, his soul was troubled. His heart ached. He said, now is my soul troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He tells everyone who was there that day, I am not going to say for the Father, to the Father, save me from this hour, because that's why I came. That's why I'm here. He could not pray for that. Why? Because the purpose of my coming into this world was to go to the cross. He was born to die on the cross. Jesus refused to ask the Father to spare him from the cross because he knew it was the very purpose he was sent. Jesus knew his crucifixion lay ahead, and because he was human, he dreaded it. His soul was troubled. Jesus knew he would have to take the sins of the world on himself and that God the Father was going to judge sin in his body. So as a man, those thoughts troubled his soul. I want to trace a rabbit here for a moment. Bear with me. Because there's many that teach that Jesus was separated from the Father on the cross. And that's why his soul was so troubled. They say Jesus' humanity did not have anything to do with his troubled heart because he could have faced death with no problem. They say that for a short while, God the Father turned his face from his beloved son. So when I say when you come across a text, it kind of makes you think. I say begin by looking at the whole counsel of God. What I always say, you have to go with what we do know, right? What we do know. We know that Jesus is God and God exists in the three persons. That's a trinity. God the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God, and he has said that he and the Father are one. John 14, 7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. We need to remember that whenever anybody sees Jesus, they are seeing God incarnate or the essence of God. So we have to ask, when Jesus was on the cross suffering for our sins, did Jesus stop being God? And the answer is absolutely not. Was God the Father unable to look upon the judgment that fell upon God the Son? Of course not. Jesus never stopped being God, even when he died for the sins of mankind. Jesus cannot be separated from God the Father because they are one. So people will ask, well, why did Jesus say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me when he was on the cross? Good question. So let's chase that rabbit a little bit further. Before we chase that rabbit, I want you to know this. Forsaken does not mean that Jesus was not God anymore. It doesn't mean that God, the Father, and the Son are not one, as we look at that. But when, listen, when Jesus quotes Psalm 22 on the cross, 
there were a lot of Jews there and many of the Jewish leaders and many Jewish leaders. Most of the Jews watching were very familiar with King David's remorse from his affair with Bathsheba. Everyone knew this psalm, but they did not know it as Psalm 22. From the age six, from age six on, the Jewish children memorized the scripture. And they knew this psalm, but here's why they didn't know it as Psalm 22. There were no chapters and verses in the Jewish Bible at that time. So how would they, how did they know where to turn in the scriptures? They would recite the first line of the song. So if I were to open up worship back then, I would say, please find your way to my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is how they knew where to go into the Bible. Now we know that Psalm 22 has many references or circumstances about the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Easy to see on this side of the cross. But think about this. Those Jews were watching Jesus on the cross being crucified they were seeing the fulfillment of prophecy right before their very eyes on that day. And as Jesus was suffering, he was quoting the Jewish scriptures from the cross. Jesus was drawing the attention of the Jews to the words of King David. And when they heard those words that began that psalm, they probably finished that psalm in their minds. They had to. They had it in their hearts. They had, had, they had put God's word in their hearts. So they could not help but notice that that psalm was being lived out right in front of their own eyes. And then the climax comes when Jesus' final words are what? It is finished. The last line of Psalm 22, it will be completed. In the words of Jesus, it is finished. So Jesus was not saying, God, why have you forsaken me from the cross? He was actually saying that he is the Messiah from the cross that the word spoke of, that the scripture spoke of. Look at the psalm he's saying. Now, I do want you to turn over to Psalm 22. And for the sake of time, we're going to pick up in verse 22. So everything that has happened at the cross was written about in the previous verses in Psalm 22. And the people can see that happening. But we always stop there and we don't finish the psalm and we don't see that the king is anointed. And we don't see what is finished. So as we read, I want you to keep in mind what Jesus has done. And I want you to keep in mind that it is finished. It is done. Right? In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All of you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he is not, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All of the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship, don't miss that, kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. 
all the prosperous of the uh, pr prosperous of the earth eat and worship <clears throat> before him shall bow all who go down to the dust even the one who could not keep himself alive posterity shall serve him it shall be told of the lord to the coming generations they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it it is finished jesus says from the cross in the psalm, Jesus goes to the cross, and then we read about a king who is worshipped forever because of the cross and the resurrection. And that's why Jesus says it is finished. Read the whole psalm. You would think, hey, it's over. They killed him on the cross. But the psalm continues and lets him know that he is the king of kings. Thinking about being there on that day. Or hearing about what Jesus said on the cross. And then remembering all that he had done and endured. And then Jesus comes out of the grave. A conquering king who will now be worshipped. Had to run through the minds of the people. Jesus was quoting the song. To let the world know that he is the light of the world. Even as he hung on the cross. So know this. You know, as we know God, as we learn about God, as we know more about him, it helps us in our walk and we're able to serve him because we know him. So know this, Jesus cannot quit being God. He can't. Jesus cannot be separated from God the Father. They are both, they both are one. It's difficult to understand in what sense Jesus was, quote, forsaken uh, by God. It, it is, but but we have to go with what we know, right? It is certain that God approved Jesus' work. That's certain. It is certain that Jesus was innocent. It is certain that he had done nothing to forfeit the favor of God. Jesus is God's own son, holy, harmless, undefiled, and obedient. God loves his son. So in, a, so in none of these senses could God ever forsake him. He never stopped loving his son. Jesus' statement about his soul being troubled in the above verses came from his humanity. His suffering was not only physical, but he went through the pain of personally paying for the sins of mankind. He knew the pain he would endure, but he was determined to fulfill the plan of God for redemption. The prospect of his coming death was a stark horror to him, and you can read about that in Isaiah 53. So yes, he said, my heart is trouble. My heart is trouble. And we'll see more about this as we walk through this book. But know that you know that Jesus is God and he cannot stop being God. Amen? All right, shoot that rabbit. Let's move on. Okay, but for the purpose I have come for this hour, verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. So Jesus now turns his thoughts back to God the Father and back to the purpose for which he came to this earth. I guess he took his thoughts captive, right? Good example. And, and what was his thought? It was to glorify his father. 
you know, we see this word a lot. We were even uh, singing it in the hymns today. But, but what does glorify really mean? What does that mean? The Greek, the Greek word, root word is doxa, which refers to brightness, beauty, and even fame. One commentator said, said a good way to think of this, think of glory, glorify, is to replace it with the word spotlight. Not the best, but it kind of gives us an idea how glorify works. Jesus came to put the spotlight on God. God said he has put the spotlight on Jesus and will continue to do so. And so as children of God, we are to live a life that puts the spotlight on Jesus. How we do it. How we do it. We can ask ourselves all the time, whatever I am doing, will it put the spotlight on God? Will who God is be brought into the spotlight because of my actions? So as we, all, as we walk this earth, we can ask, is what I'm doing put in a good light on God? Jesus did. In everything he did, he pleased the Father and put the light on the Father. The, re- the Father responded in a voice from heaven, I have glorified it, that is his name, and I will glorify it again. This was so important that God spoke from heaven. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, God did that because Jesus needed to hear that at his time. His heart struggled and everything. I was wrong. Verse 29, the crowd stood there and heard it, and it said, heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus said, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. That's why I didn't write the scripture. What did, what did God speaking from heaven do for the people? Real simple. God was confirming his working in Jesus, both in the past and in the future. The people needed to know that God has been in work, has been at work in and through Jesus and was going to continue to work in and through Jesus. God, the father had glorified Jesus's name and will continue to glorify Jesus's name. He will put his name in the spotlight. Even though Jesus has said this many times, the world just got the confirmation from God the Father. But they have heard this voice before. If you remember Matthew 3, 17, Jesus gets baptized. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father loves the son and the son loves the father. And they put the light on each other. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus is now openly speaking about the cross and what would be accomplished at the cross. Judgment of this this world and the ruler of this world will be cast out. It was an hour of judgment for the world and for Satan the prince of this world. Again, another paradox here, victory comes from death. In the world, the victory goes to the one who kills the enemy. Here we have the death of Jesus, which seems like a victory for the wicked world, but instead it ends up being a judgment on the world. On the cross, Jesus would defeat Satan and his wicked worldly system. 
And one may say, well, wait, Satan's still alive, right? Yes, he is. God in his plan has permitted Satan to go to and fro on this earth. Yes. But Satan operates as a defeated enemy. You see that? Satan operates as a defeated enemy. And you would say, well, how is that? And I would tell you, well, write 1 John 4 in your margins. 1 John 4, 4 is one verse we should always keep in our hearts. And you'll see why as we read through this text. 1 John 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So as a child of God, we have the power to discern what is of God and what is of this world. He continues, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Antichrist, anti-God is in the world. And we can see that that spirit is at work right now, can't we? The world is against Christ. We can see it with our own eyes. But here's what we have to know. Here's what we have to know as believers. Verse four, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verse four, greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Be encouraged, people, as we look around and think the world's falling apart and God's not in control and asking where God is and how this can happen. How can God allow this? Hey, be encouraged. God is at work. Our hearts can be troubled because of this fallen world, but we still have to live in victory. Satan and this world are defeated foes. Neither one of them has any power over us. And that's how we know that we are not of this world. We are not controlled by this world or the wicked one. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he is in this world. So when we sing victory in Jesus, it's not just a future victory. We, we have victory today. We live in victory every day. <coughs> because of who lives in us, we have victory every day. We are more than conquerors, the word says. We are overcomers, the word says. As we serve the Lord, we overcome the wicked one and this world. We are to serve him. But in order to serve him, we have to know him. And if we know him, we will be with him. Jesus is alive and he cannot stop being God. So stand on his promises and live a life that puts the spotlight on God. Amen. Amen. Pastor Jerry.